the last blockbuster video store in the United States is located in Bend, Oregon. Now, in the 1990s, when you were trying to figure out something to do with your family on a Friday night, or maybe you were coming up with date night ideas for you and your lady friend, you would go and make it a blockbuster night. Stores were filled with VHS tapes, and you would go and grab this box, and you would take it to the counter, and they would insert a VHS tape. If you're, you know, younger than 30, turn to the person next to you and say, what's a VHS tape, right? They would put it inside of there, and there would always be this this sticker on the tape that would say, be kind, please rewind, right? These kids have no idea what even rewind means, okay? You could even buy snacks like popcorn and candy on, on your way out of the store uh, that you could take home with you, and you would, you'd watch the movie there together. And this store in Oregon is a, is a vestige of a bygone era. This store actually serves as an Airbnb now, and you can go and you can rent your tapes, and you can sit in a 90s-themed living room with a huge box TV in there and watch your tapes at this Airbnb. But one day, blockbusters came crashing down. My kids asked me this week when I was telling them this story, they said, well, what happened to them? Redbox happened to them. They put red boxes outside of uh, drug stores and grocery stores where you could go in uh, to the store, and right outside the door, you'd see this red box, and you could rent uh, a, a DVD right there as you were going and coming. And so it became more convenient for us. And then streaming was introduced to America. And you could, for a monthly subscription to Netflix, have thousands of movies at your disposal that you could watch at any time without ever leaving your home. And Blockbuster was left behind. Unfortunately, this story is the story of a lot of churches across our country and even across our own city. At one time, they were reaching their community, and then the community around them changed, you know, became different. New people came in, different types of people maybe even moved into the community. And somewhere along the way, they failed to love this community that they were a part of. And the churches began to dwindle and then they began to die. The new neighborhood changed and they didn't. Well, as a church, we've been putting forward for you last week, this week and next week, a 2025 vision for what we believe and what we're praying that God wants to do in our church over these next five years. And as I said from the outset last week, we're putting out numbers. These are measurable things that we're going to strive to accomplish and reach for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. And sometimes people get weird about numbers, but I don't. I think it's okay. I think it's good to set goals. I think it's good for us to to push and to strive. Because when we talk about these sorts of numbers, we're not just talking about having big rooms filled with a lot of people. We're talking about real individuals with real souls that will spend eternity in heaven with the Lord or in hell apart from the Lord. And so these numbers really matter, okay? And so last Sunday, we set out two goals. One was that over the next five years that our church would grow, that we would have 2,000 people in attendance for worship on Sundays. 
that that would be the normal for our church. And that means that we're going to have to do a lot of work between now and then, especially now that COVID has happened, right? It's, it's even less than it was before. We set out a second goal, that our church would continue to help revitalize churches in our community and that we would have four physical campuses with a language congregation on each campus over the next five years. We have two right now, and we're hoping to double that over the next five years. That's our prayer. Today, I want to introduce to you two, two more measurable goals that we're going to strive for as a congregation over the next five years. The one is that we would baptize 100 people every year. Now, that's a big goal because typically right now, we're, we're baptizing around 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60 people a year. Okay, so that means that we as a church are going to have to take the, the initiative that we've been doing for the last year or so, two years, called Who's Your One, a lot more seriously. That we're going to have to uh, be committed to trying to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, the hope that we have within us so that people would come to know Jesus and trust in him and be saved. And so we're going to have to be more faithful in sharing and, and evangelism if we're going to reach that goal. The second one uh, is kind of a part of that, is that as a congregation that we would be involved in 50 local mission engagements every single month, whether that's love community teams that are out in our, in our community or the students are doing something or the kids are doing something or our senior adults are doing something or a connect group is doing something, that every month at least 50 times we're involved in ministry in our community. That's a big goal. That's like, if you're going to average it out, like one to two every day, okay? So that means that, that as a church, we're going to have to get serious about invading our community with ministry and with the gospel. But I believe that we can do it because as a church, we're committed to loving our community. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn with me to the gospel of Mark and stand with me if you are able as we read from the word of God Mark chapter 1 in verse 35. Mark chapter 1 verse 35, the word of God says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. And he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, as we study this passage, I want us to consider what it means for us as a church to love our community. As we're trying to fulfill our mission to be disciples and to make disciples, we want to say, what does it mean for us as a church to love our community? The first thing that we see in this passage is that if we're going to love our community, we're going to have to prepare for service. In verse 35, this is how this story begins. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. And so if we're going to love our community, we have to prepare spiritually. We have to prepare spiritually. Because ministry is difficult. It's taxing. It's not only wearing physically, but it's, it's wearing emotionally and, and spiritually as well. 
That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He, 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 he was talking about how he had poured everything that he had into that ministry. And it was like he had been poured out. And it just honestly, it, it's, it can be wearing to help people that are struggling in their marriage, that are dealing with things like depression and, and other things, that are mourning the loss of a family men or, men, uh, member, that are, that are battling against temptation and, and sin in their life. And it's difficult because you're also working through these things in your own life. You know, you're, you're mourning the loss of a loved one. You're dealing with sin in your life. You're dealing with all these various things. And so we're asking you to engage our community and help them in their hurt. And if we're not spiritually prepared, you're going to be wiped out. And the Gospels are clear in spelling out the importance of a personal walk with God as you look at the example of Jesus. Over and over, you find Christ slipping away to spend time in prayer. Here in this passage, Jesus gets up early to be by himself and pray. We find him in the temple reading the scriptures as a young boy. Before Jesus began his public ministry, he fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness. Before he called the 12 to come follow him, he spent the whole night in prayer. In Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, it says that he went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. Some translations there say, as was his custom. And so this was... Part of the normal pattern of Jesus' life and of Jesus' ministry. And so if Jesus thought this was important for him to do, how important do you think it is for you and me to do it? So just because ministry can be difficult doesn't mean that we avoid it. The answer is not to stay away from people because that's too hard. The answer is to prepare your heart for spiritual battle. To to love our community, we're going to have to be involved in ministry and getting our hands dirty. That's why Pastor Johnny Hunt says a shepherd has to smell like the sheep. If we get involved in ministry with the community, we have to be prepared for that. It, it means that we need to be on our knees and in prayer, that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go out and to perform ministry, that we need the, the love of Christ overflowing out of our hearts to those that we would minister to. Because if you're trying to do this in your own strength and your, your own ingenuity, you're going to get drained and you're going to get burned out quickly. But if you're filled with streams of living water, you're never going to run dry. So that's what we're asking God to do in our hearts. And so we, we have to prepare spiritually, but we also have to prepare mentally. You have to know the community that you're engaging. You got to know what this, what this neighborhood is. Who are the people that you're trying to reach? Because we're called to reach a specific place in a specific time in history. Ministry isn't cookie cutter. It doesn't look the same today as it did when Martin Luther was leading the Protestant Reformation, okay? 
And it doesn't look the same in Knoxville, Tennessee as it does in Moscow, Russia. And ministry post-COVID looks different than it did just five months ago. And so as you learn about your community, God shows you how best to reach them. And so I want to introduce you to the community that's immediately surrounding our church building, within a three-mile radius of this building. So going west over into Norwood, east across the interstate over into Inskip area, south down toward uh, 640 and north up to around Callahan Road. It might not be the community that you moved to 20 years ago. It might not even be the community that you wished were here. But it is the community that actually exists. And it's the community that God has called this church to reach because he specifically planted us here for such a time as this. And God says, listen, I have a, a fellowship of believers that strategically placed in that neighborhood to reach them. So this is our turf. This is our charge as a church. And we have to answer this call. So according to census data, within a three-mile radius of our church, the area around our campus is growing steadily. Now that's different from some neighborhoods. Some neighborhoods are declining. Our neighborhood is growing. And statistics would say that this area is going to become more and more ethnically diverse over the next five years. That the Hispanic and African American and Asian populations are growing at a faster rate than the average community in the United States. In fact, they are estimating that by next year, that this area would be 8% Hispanic and 15% African American. That the most populous generation uh, in this area is our millennials that the fastest growing generation is Gen Z, which are the children of millennials. And so they're estimating that by next year, that these three youngest generations would account for over 80% of the population of this neighborhood. So that makes, we have to ask ourselves, does our congregation reflect this community? Because as we reach this community, then by default, it ought to begin to look like that. Unless we're not reaching this community. Now, several years ago, our church conducted a, what was called the Rainer Report. And because of all these statistics that they saw, they concluded this. That if Wallace does not reach these young people, it will likely decline considerably over the next five years. That was their their estimation. But here's the good news, that over the past three years, we have turned the tide on that. We not only didn't decline considerably, we grew substantially. And that's because we as a church committed to love our community and to reach out to our neighbors. And we got serious about this neighborhood and about trying to reach people who live here. And so we as a church can either prepare for serving and loving our changing community or we can get left behind. We can become a blockbuster because there are around 900 Southern Baptist Convention churches that close their doors for good every single year. 
because their neighborhood changes, they fail to reach out and love the people that are around them, and they close their doors. But we're not going to be one of those churches. We're not going to be one of those churches. I didn't come here to preside over Wallace Memorial Baptist Church's funeral. God brought me here to lead this church into the future of the plans that he has for this tremendous church that has a tremendous history and it also has a tremendous future as we follow the Lord's leading and as we love our community. So we have to prepare. We also have to preach the gospel. Look at what Jesus does. We might tailor our methods according to the context, but the message doesn't change. The message that we proclaim is constant. It's it's the word of God. And so we're going to faithfully and unashamedly proclaim the gospel of Jesus because it is the only hope for a lost world. All of the clean water and food pantries and clothing distributions can't save anyone's souls. And so we have to give them the gospel. We have to give them Jesus. So what does he say in verse 38? Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. The first thing that Jesus did when he began his ministry was to preach. If you look earlier in Mark's gospel and Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, it says after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. His disciples understood this because what's the very first thing that they did when they started their ministry in Acts? They were there in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes down upon them. And the very first thing they did is to go out and preach on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then when you get to Acts chapter 3, Peter's preaching again at the temple. And then they're thrown in prison because they're preaching and continuing to do so. They're preaching the gospel is essential to the ministry of the church. In fact, if you look in Romans chapter 10, beginning there in verse 13, Paul says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on him they've not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's why you're always going to hear me give a time to respond at the end of one of our worship services. Because I believe that, that the Holy Spirit works in people's lives, that the word of God will not return void, that when the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to convict us and to to change us and to point people who don't have a relationship to Jesus to their need to know him as the Savior and Lord of their life. In fact, Paul told Timothy to keep this priority in his ministry in 1 Timothy 4.13. He says, until I come, give your attention to public reading, to exhortation, to teaching." And so that means that we have to be preaching the gospel of Jesus from the pulpit. This isn't a place where we're trying to do other things, comedy shows and political rallies or things like that. This is a place where I proclaim the word of God. 
And it's great to do acts of kindness. It's great to serve people in the neighborhood. But if you never get to the gospel, then you're not serving them. You're doing a disservice to them. You're just making lost people comfortable and well-fed on their way to hell. And that's not loving your community. That's why we've created these love community teams. They are the tip of the spear of our discipleship journey. As we've talked about being in the audience and the big groups and the connect groups and our D groups, the E groups, evangelism groups, are, are our love community teams that are out engaging the city with the gospel. They're Their goal is that they would reach people groups and places in Knoxville. That they'll get to know people groups and places in Knoxville and develop a strategy of how to reach them. That they'll engage these people groups and places with prayer and with evangelism, seeking to build the kingdom in that area. And so we're calling our church to be a part of these teams, to to be a part of these love community teams that are going to be littered all across our city, trying to introduce people to Jesus. And we have to be preaching the gospel everywhere we go. Are you preaching Jesus with your life? When someone sees your life, do they see Christ? Because Listen, you don't have to stand in a pulpit and preach like I do. Whether you realize it or not, everywhere you go, everything you say, people are watching it. And so you're preaching whether you understand it or not. So what is it that you're sharing with your life? One of the greatest ways that you can share with others is to invite them into your home. Last week we talked about this being something that you could do on Sunday evenings. Uh, that it could be one of the things that you do is to invite people into your own. Maybe you're a part of a love community team and you invite these folks that you're trying to build relationships with into your home. Hospitality is a tremendous way to witness for the Lord. While I've been on mission in other parts of the world, I've been blown away by the hospitality that people show us. We think we have southern hospitality. I'm telling you, we don't hold a candle to a lot of other places in the world to what real hospitality looks like. And when you invite people into your home, you realize that this was a major part of how the early church operated. We're told in the book of Acts that they met daily house to house. But in our current culture, in this southern hospitality culture, let's be honest, it's strange to invite people into your home. We drive up, we shut the garage behind us, we don't talk to people that live next door to us. We quit building front porches, we built back porches so we wouldn't have to talk to people on the street. We could get behind the house where you wouldn't see people. That's for real. And so we think of our home as our refuge, as our oasis, our place to escape and to, and to recover, right? Right? But what if God gave you your house to be a place of ministry? What if it's a tool for the kingdom? Notice what Jesus says. He says, this is what I came for, to go and to preach the gospel. John Wesley says, I have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. And that's what we have to do. That's what we're commissioned to do. Our mission as a church, to be disciples and make disciples. This is what we're to do. 
That's why you're still here, to preach the kingdom. I mean, otherwise, as soon as you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, God could have just sort of zapped you up to heaven and you'd be gone if that's all that he wanted you to do. But he's left us here for a while in order that we would share him with others. So we need to proclaim the gospel and make disciples for Christ. Third thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus put away evil. If we're going to love our community, we're going to put away evil. Look in verse 39. It says, he went into all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Everywhere that Christ went, he was dispelling evil. And I think these two things are tied together, this idea of preaching the gospel and confronting evil. Because when you preach the gospel, two kingdoms collide. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And it is literally spiritual warfare, and the light will overcome the darkness, the Bible tells us. And Jesus was confronting evil all the time. I mean, in this first chapter of Mark, we see it four times. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness as soon as he began his ministry. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. There it is. Mark chapter 1, verse 25, Jesus rebuked the demon, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And verse 34, He healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And, of course, here in verse 39, He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. In fact, John says that this was Jesus' purpose. In 1 John 3, verse 8, it says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. So our church has to understand that when we're out loving the community, ministering in the neighborhood, that we are confronting evil. And by that, I don't mean that we need to set up an exorcism committee or anything like that. What I mean is that when sin is, is found in our lives and it's exposed in our lives, that we repent of it. And we strive instead for holiness in our lives, that we're putting away evil in our hearts and in in our minds. But we also recognize that bringing the kingdom of God against the forces of evil in our city. That's part of praying in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are loving our community by bringing light into darkness. And so when evil is prevalent in our community, we have a responsibility as the people of God, as ambassadors of Christ, to take a stand against it. So when we see injustice, we speak out. When there's hurt, we're bringing healing. We're proclaiming the truth and the righteousness of God. And there are two extremes that churches tend to go to with this. And one is that in an effort to, to love the community, the church becomes just like the community. And you can't tell them apart from the community because they tolerate sin so much. But the Bible tells us that we're called to be set apart, that we're called to be a light into the darkness. Then some churches go to the other extreme And what happens is that in an effort to be set apart from the community, they sort of develop uh, an isolation and bunker mentality. But we're called to 
to reach our community, to be a part of our community with the gospel. And so we have to strike this balance of being in the world, but not of the world. To make a, a firm, unmistakable stand for Christ while engaging and impacting and infiltrating the community with the gospel. See, the church is supposed to present a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like in this fallen world. So, for example, when our Southern Baptist Convention's disaster relief organization is the third largest relief organization in the country, it makes a statement to our nation. When Christians step up and foster children and adopt children, it makes a statement to the world about our God. When Christians speak up for the unborn against abortion, it shows the heart of our Creator. When Christians are helping to feed the hungry and the homeless, it bears a witness of our Lord. When Christians speak out against pornography and sex trafficking, it shows the concern that God has for these victims. When Christians care for the elderly, it paints a picture of our good shepherd. When Christians take a stand against racism and bigotry, we're displaying the love of God. And so are we going to be willing to love our community like that? To preach the gospel with word and with deed. If we're going to accomplish these goals that we're setting out before us, we're going to have to radically love our community. So this morning, this is our challenge. To be obedient to the command of Christ to make disciples. To reach out. To personally prepare to serve in our community. To preach the kingdom. put away evil in our lives, to stand for Christ in our community. To join a love community team that's bringing the gospel to people, groups, and places across our city. So what are you going to do with the challenge that God's put in your heart today? You can ignore it. You can act like you didn't take good notes today. Or you can respond to what God is saying to your heart. In a minute, we're going to have a time of response, and there's going to be leaders across the back, and I'll be here at the front. And Christians, today, if God has been working in your heart about how you can love your community well, I want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer, there at your seat or here at this altar, committing yourself to the work that God is calling you to do. There might be some here this morning who realize that they need to begin a relationship with God. We're talking about Jesus coming to this earth to live a life without sin, to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sins, being raised from the dead, to defeat our sin, to give us life, to give us salvation. This is the gospel message that we're taking to our community, that we're trying to share with our neighbors. This morning, I want you to know this message is for you. If you're watching at home, I want you to know this message is for you. And so... Perhaps this morning you realize that you need to trust in Jesus to save you, to forgive you of your sin. I want you to know today that if you'll repent or turn from your sin and call on Jesus to forgive you, the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm, I'm begging you today 
to make this step of faith in your heart, to trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And so you can come speak with me. You can come and talk to one of these leaders here in the back of the sanctuary. If you're watching at home, you can text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. You can do that as well here in the sanctuary. However God is speaking to your heart right now, this is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we give you thanks for your word today. Lord, for the message that you have put before us, the challenge, Lord, to love our community. God, you've put in our hearts these big goals for the next five years. And God, if we're going to do these things, we're going to have to to love our community well. We're going to have to be committed to being in our community and reaching our community with the gospel. And so, God, I pray that you would stir a fire within our hearts to reach our city with the love of Jesus. God, I pray for any that are in this room or any that are watching at home, Lord, who have never made this decision in their own heart to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day, Lord, that they would repent and believe and be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.